If you will, turn back in your Bible to our scripture reading in Leviticus chapter 23. I'll read only one verse, and that being verse 2, from which our message comes this morning. So if you will, find that, and we'll read once again the second verse of Leviticus 23. Let me also encourage all of our men to be with us next Saturday morning at 7 uh, for the men's fellowship and prayer breakfast. What a wonderful time we, can ha- we have to have together and what a wonderful time we will have. So I hope you'll remember that. Tie a string around your finger and uh, be here uh, for our men's fellowship and prayer time on Saturday morning. Also, let me ask you, if you will, a very urgent prayer request for Mrs. Louise Louise London. Uh, She is in intensive care, uh, had surgery this past week, and uh, she's not doing well. And the family asks that we pray for her, especially this morning. Please remember her in your prayer. Leviticus 23 and verse number 2 And the verse reads thusly, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be an holy convocation, even these are my feasts. I thought at first when I read this passage that I would entitle our thoughts this morning, The Feasts of the Faithful. But I cannot really do that scripturally because these feasts are called the Feasts of the Lord. That is, they were feasts that God himself instituted for a divine purpose. I think you will find that in these seven feasts that will be named beginning at verse number four and following down through the remainder of the chapter, there are seven of these feasts numbered for us and revealed. Seven indeed is a complete number. It is the number of perfection. Whatever God does, he does it perfectly and completely. When he saved you uh, by your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he saved you uh, perfectly. He saved you uh, completely. That is, you are complete, Paul said in the Colossian letter, in uh, him. Our completion uh, is in Jesus Christ. And that's what really salvation is. It is the completion of that relationship that God intended for every man and woman. The late Dr. Jacob Gardenhouse, who was a devoted uh, servant of God, uh, he was a Jew. And uh, Dr. Gardenhouse founded the International Board of Jewish Missions, doing a marvelous work around the world. But Dr. Gardenhouse used to say, I am a completed Jew. And when he said that to me the first time when I was in Chattanooga, I said, well, I'm glad to meet you, Dr. Gardenhouse. I am a completed Gentile. He's a completed Jew. I'm a completed Gentile. 
and so are you if you have believed on our Lord Jesus Christ. These parables, as I mentioned, are seven in number. Let me just mention them to you as you'll observe them in the following verses of the Scripture. In verse number five, the first of these great feasts is mentioned, and it is called the Passover. In verse number six, you will find the second of these feasts, It is known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then following down to verse number 10, you'll find the Feast of the First Fruits. The Feast of the First Fruits. Following that is the Feast of Weeks, better known to us as the Feast of Pentecost. The feast of a harvest, down in verse number, uh, verse number fifteen and verse sixteen, you'll find that particular feast introduced. We'll come back to these momentarily, and then following that, the fifth of these feasts is known as the feast of trumpets. The feast of trumpets. And then in verse number 27, there is the feast known as the Feast of Atonement. Literally, in the Hebrew language, the the word atonement is in the plural, and it simply is is, uh, translated atonements. And then finally, the seventh of these uh, great feasts that the Lord prescribed for Israel is in verse number 34, it is known as the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. Now don't try to absorb all of these feasts in one big mental gulp. You'll get, you'll get heartburn as sure as, you, as sure as you live. So follow me very carefully and we'll deal with as many as possible but I do want you to get an overall picture. Everything in the Bible is placed there for a purpose. God has a divine purpose in prescribing these particular fees for the children of Israel. They were known as a holy convocation. Now the word convocation simply means the summoning together of an assembly. The summoning together. And the word summons has the ring of authority to it, does it not? If you are summoned for jury duty, or you are summoned in the court to be a witness, that has a ring of authority to it, does it not? And so these are holy convocations. That is, God calling his people together. There's great profit in the togetherness of the people of God. There was indeed some economic benefits for these Israelites being called together. There was as well political benefits But most of all, there was religious or spiritual benefit in their coming together. You'll hear the echo of that in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. 
When the Lord speaks to those of us in this New Testament age and he says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the custom of some is. Now it's essential that we be together. Have you ever tried to, well, have you ever tried to burn a brush pile? Uh, you ever notice those uh, uh, limbs that get away from the fire They may glow for a little bit. They may have a little flame. But you know what happens to them when they're out there alone? They burn out. In other words, a lot of times when I burn a brush pile, I let it burn for a while and then I come along and I kick those little ends back up into the fire in order for them to burn. That is an essential thing to your spiritual life and mine. The togetherness of the people of God. God certainly wasn't just given some command to rob us of our Sunday morning sleep and our Sunday, our Sunday sports, but rather he saw and knows the essential necessity of our being together on a consistent basis. And so these fees were indeed to be attended Every year as God prescribed them in their season. Now generally the seasons lasted for these, uh, these feasts are convocations from around April up through November. The winter months for some reason did not hold uh, too much as far as the gathering together for these special feasts. Now, as you think of it, these feasts have, number one, a prophetic voice, a prophetic vision is given, and secondly, and most applicable to you and me, there is a practical side to the Christian life revealed in these seven feasts of the Lord. Now, with that, I want you to look very carefully. First of all, it all begun with the feast known in verse number 5 as the feast of Passover. Now, that feast most of us are familiar with, at least in name. We have heard this term, the Passover It is still a a solemn thing that is recognized by the Jewish people today. It is literally a memorial and a reminder to the people of Israel at this time of God's mighty deliverance of them out of the land of bondage and their safety from the death angel that would come through the countryside on that particular eve and would take the life of every one of the firstborn that is in the household that did not have the blood applied to the doorpost on either side and over the door. Now, if you will think very clearly, you'll find that that is something of a picture of the cross, is it not? The the blood applied to either side and over the doorpost. 
I'm a Baptist preacher and I don't stand around making the sign of the cross. Uh, but uh, that's what you find here. It is a portrayal of the coming cross of our Lord upon which he would die as the Lamb of God. Now, here a lamb was to be slain. And as, that, uh, as the Lord would pass by, those houses, those doors that have the blood applied were in a place of safety. So the Passover was an observance for a reminder to Israel of that that God had brought them from. Indeed, everything begins in your life and mine by our great Passover, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is defined as our Passover in the sacred scripture. Christ, our Passover, the scripture reveals to us. And so it begins there. And listen, that is the beginning of the Christian life. We begin at the foot of the cross. We begin at that point of the application of the blood of the Lamb. We begin our journey as a child of God by faith in that blood that was shed for us. No one can enjoy the other things than the joys that God has for them until he begins at this open door. So the Passover was first instituted in Egypt. What a dreadful night it was for those in the land who feared the death of the firstborn. But this perpetual, uh, this perpetual uh, commemoration would keep fresh in their minds what price was paid for their redemption and their salvation. Growing out of the Passover itself, is what we know as the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is that very portrayal of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. As oft as you do this, taking of the unleavened bread, drinking of the fruit of the vine, that is, reminding us of the body, the flesh, and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, as oft as you do this, Jesus, the scripture says, do it in remembrance of me. The Lord would have us then never forget what price was paid for our redemption, for our salvation. Now, an interesting thing is that the Passover occurred but once in the year. Only once in the year. That is, once in the completed period of time. So likewise, Christ who is our Passover was crucified, laid down his life, but once. And that was a once for all proposition. He does not have to be offered again and again, either by ceremony or by actual death. His death was a once for all. And thus there is no need for another offering of the body of Christ. And something else that speaks to my heart. 
That very Passover lamb, that known as the Paschal lamb, at the Passover time, that this very feast was a feast for all the nation. Not just a few, but for all the nation. And the scripture reveals concerning our Lord Jesus' death and the shedding of his blood that he died for all. The scripture saying that we which live might henceforth live unto, not live unto ourselves, but unto him that loved us and gave himself for us. So the Passover is the beginning place. The very first cry that the sinner really hears in his heart is, Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. And as an unsaved person, as he turns to look at the Lamb that was slain for him, indeed, he is reminded of the love of our Lord and that provision that he has made for us. So the Passover suggests, indeed, our Lord's humiliation and death. The feast that followed the Passover the very next day was the feast of unleavened bread. Down in verse number 6. The feast of unleavened bread. Now this feast seems to indicate the life of those who have believed on the Lord Jesus as a life of separation. Separation from sin and hypocrisy. Notice how it reads verse 6. On the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Now leaven in the scripture is a type and symbol of evil. Remember the Lord Jesus said, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware the leaven of the Sadducees. Beware the leaven of Herod. Even so, leaven is a symbol of evil, of iniquity. So in the feast that followed that of the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, it would speak of that holiness of life that God demands of those who know him as their personal Savior. Notice verse 7, in the first day you shall have an holy convocation, you shall do no servile work therein. Now here in that fact of unleavened bread, the Lord is teaching us that now that we've come to the cross, our lives should be a life of separation not only from the world, but a separation unto God. There are many a person who has come to the Lord Jesus and yet they fail to live a separated life. We have so many people today who call themselves children of God. Oh yes, they're a Christian, but you find them in the dance hall. You find them watching the X and R rated movies. You see them reading all kind of filthy, questionable literature. You see them dressing, or could I say undressing, uh, like the world does in public. 
all of these things, and yet God calls for his children to be a distinct and a separate people. The reason the church has lost its power and influence for God and righteousness in this day is because the average church is no different in their lives than the unsaved who have never claimed to be a Christian. May God help us to be as the Lord says, come ye out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Following then uh, that experience of redemption uh, that is typified in the feast of the Passover is the feast of uh, unleavened bread. Oh, how indeed that there is a need for holiness in life today. Doesn't the scripture say, be ye holy for I am a holy. So what I'm preaching about today is not something I've hatched up in my study. I'm just simply telling you that that is God's demand and command for his children everywhere on the face of this earth. So in that the Passover speaks of conversion, the feast of unleavened bread speaks of consecration. Notice that in this offering of the unleavened bread, a sheaf was to be waved before the Lord. The feast, look at verse number 10, I'm sorry, the feast of first fruits. Notice verse 10, in this particular offering, there was a sheaf, S-H-E-A-F, not a sheep, but a sheaf of the first fruits of the offering uh, were to be brought unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord. Notice verse 12. The sheaf and he lamb. This is to be the offering. And verse number 14 says in the last statement, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Now following this feast of consecration that I'd call it, there is this feast of, of the first fruits. That, that first fruit uh, that the scripture reveals Christ himself was. And is. He is the first fruit from among the dead. As a corn of wheat falls into the ground, it comes forth. It was necessary that our Lord die, be buried, but also that he rose again. That is an essential in man's belief if he is to be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus or Jesus as Lord, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So the first fruit simply was when the harvest was out there in the field. The, the reapers would go out and they'd bring in a, but a bundle of what is known as the first fruits of that harvest. They'd bring it to the, the priest and he would wave it as an offering before the Lord. 
Now the offering of first fruits spoke very plainly this truth. That just as there was some first of the fruit of that field or that harvest, there would be more that would be coming later. And that's what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, as Christ lives, you and I also shall live. As Christ was raised from the dead, you and I will be raised from the grave given a body like unto our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here is the feast of firstfruits. The Lord is simply wanting us to know that just as Jesus came forth in resurrected power, so we shall come forth in the resurrection. Now, it also would remind us of this fact, that it is only in the power of that resurrected Christ that you and I can ever be holy and live the kind of life that we ought to live and that God expects and demands that we live. So it is this act of consecration. It is first, conversion. Secondly, it is the, uh, the uh, offering that speaks of cleansing. That is holiness of life. And this offering or fees that speaks of our consecration to the Lord. The giving of ourselves unto Him. Then notice in verse 15 down to verse 22. There is the fourth of these seven feasts. It is known as the Feast of Weeks. Literally better known to us as the Feast of Pentecost. It would follow the Feast of the Passover some 50 days after. That is, there would be a period of seven weeks, of seven days each, and you say that would be 49. That's right. But it was the day after that the Feast of Weeks was to be celebrated and commemorated, which would make it fall on the 50th day. Now, you and I know what happened on the day of Pentecost as far as the record of the New Testament reveals. The day of Pentecost, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, came down in great power upon His church. It is thus by the power of God's Spirit that you and I are able to be what we ought to be. That is, to be like Christ. Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, self-control, or temperance. A picture of the Lord Jesus is in those words. And it is only by the Holy Spirit that we can have those very qualities in our life that are likened unto our blessed Savior. Notice over and again he says, no work shall be done on this day. No work, no labor. And again our Lord would remind us in this day that it is not through self-effort that we become like Christ and that our lives become holy. Rather it is by a life of surrender, 
a life of submission to the Holy Spirit who lives within us. It is by His power that we become what God would have us be. We say, I've tried and I've failed. Thank God for that, if you've really realized it. The truth is, when we realize we cannot be by our own strength what God demands of us, and we yield to the Holy Spirit, only then can He produce within us that very likeness of Christ that is needed. Now, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. On the 50th day after the Feast of the Passover, this very feast was observed. Follow with me, and I'm moving quickly. I believe in that feast of Passover, the Lord was conditioning, and He does condition us by the very Holy Spirit to be what we ought to be. Not only live like we ought to live, but to do what we ought to be doing. Did our Lord not commission us to be witnesses? And that when the Holy Ghost has come upon us, you shall be witnesses. Notice then the feast of trumpets that follow. At verse 23, 24, and 25. A man then who has experienced that feast of Pentecost, and everyone who has ever believed on the Lord Jesus has received the Holy Spirit. Now, not everyone who has received Him is necessarily experiencing the fullness of God's Spirit within Him. But God has given us His Spirit that we can be what we ought to be and do what we ought to do. Notice following that truth, this Feast of Trumpets. I like to liken that blowing of the trumpets. Boy, I mean they sounded them over far and near of the hillsides and in the vale, the trumpets were blown. And it was a signal that this particular feast or holy convocation was to take place. The sounding of the trumpets parallels to our publishing of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lift up your voice like a trumpet, the Lord told the prophet. Sound forth the, the very sounds of the gospel. But it is only as the Holy Spirit as represented coming in the feast of Pentecost that we are given that ability to blow the gospel trumpet. Now, a trumpet may be a very attractive instrument just for looking at. Polish, shiny, bright. But it takes wind to make the sounds come from the trumpet. In the New Testament, the word spirit is also translated wind or breath. So it is by the Holy Spirit who came upon the church, who resides within every believer of Christ, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit of God that we're able to sound forth the sounds of the gospel trumpet. And so following that feast of Passover is the feast of trumpets. In verse 26 to 32, 
there is the Feast of Atonements. That seems to be a finality of our redemption, of our salvation. You've heard me say this before. Salvation is in three tenses. I have been saved. I am being saved. I shall be saved. Yet my future and my present is as secure as my past. But what I want you to understand is this. We have not yet experienced all that God has provided for us by his death on the cross. Not only the salvation of the soul and the forgiveness of our sins, but he has provided in our salvation the redemption of our bodies. Look in Romans chapter 8. Let me ask you to look at this. In Romans chapter 8, I'd like you to read these words that speak of that completion of our salvation. You're saved now as you ever will be, that is, I mean, heaven is as sure as if you were there. But notice this at verse 21 of Romans chapter 8. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have, notice, the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. So salvation involves a redemption of the body. When we come forth in resurrected power, we shall be made like unto our Lord's own body. So here, the very feast of the atonements seems to indicate that finality, that completion, the actual covering of all that our Lord has provided for us. Following that, and I must say, verse 33 through the next 10 verses, verse 4 through 43, there's the Feast of Tabernacles. That is, that was when Israel would go out, they'd get brush, build them booths out on the hillside to be reminded of what their forebears endured in their journeys through the wilderness. And they'd live in those tents or those booths. It was known as the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a solemn assembly indeed as all the others. They, in, ti in times past, the children of Israel walked with God in the wilderness. And now the Feast of Tabernacles seems to speak of that time that is before every believing child of God, that time when God will walk with us and we, He shall be our God and we shall be His 
people. It is the feast when our Lord literally walks with His children. Uh, So the tabernacle uh, in Revelation, you remember chapter 21 and verse 3, wherein the words are found, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them. So here, the Feast of Tabernacles speaks of that day ahead when indeed our Lord shall reign and walk with us. Now this is the last of the feasts. Jesus said in John chapter 7, in the last day of the feast, the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. What a marvelous summation of all that God has provided and pictured for us in these feasts. He is saying, If you are thirsty, I have made every provision for your thirst to be quenched. Some of you have looked in strange but dry springs. You have tried to draw water from deep wells, but you have been left thirsty and hungry. Our Lord Jesus said, if you'll drink of the water that I shall give you, you'll never thirst. I am the water of life. And on this very last day, there is the Lord Jesus who is saying to those who had gathered observing all of these feasts, if you're thirsty, you may have gone through all the ritual, all the ceremony, all of the convocations, but if you're thirsty, come to me and I'll satisfy your thirst. Are you thirsting inside You've tried so many things and they've left you empty. I urge you this morning to come to Jesus Christ. For the thirsty, indeed, he offers drink. For those who will receive him, his blessed spirit moves within and takes up his abode in your life and will live the life of Christ through you if you will submit and surrender and consecrate yourself to the Lord. My prayer is that if you've never come to the Savior, you're still thirsty and hungry. You'll come to Him, for He satisfies. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, and you haven't really taken the steps in your life that you ought to take, maybe you've been saved, but you've never you've never really followed the Lord in obedience, our Lord's example of baptism. Certainly if you're a child of God, as the Lord had called these together, He would call you to be, together to be a part of a fellowship of men and women who desire to worship our Lord God. And I urge you this morning, that whatever God is talking to you about, you will make a surrender. Maybe you're a Christian and a member of this church, but your life's stained and soiled with the world. You're not really walking the life of holiness that God expects you to walk. Why don't you ask His forgiveness and ask Him to strengthen you 
so you can be the kind of person and live the kind of life that you ought to live. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this thy word. There's so much involved in these feasts that speak to us of Christ, that speak to us of practical lives and practical living as thy people. I thank you that you loved us enough that you'd die for us, that you shed your precious blood as the Lamb of God on the cross to provide redemption for us. I pray for that one who's here this morning who has never trusted you as their personal Savior. May they come right here today and say, without any hesitation, I need the Savior. I need him as my Savior. There are those who need to come to the fellowship of our church, some who are saved and a member of some other Bible-believing church, and they, Lord, you have impressed them to be a part of this fellowship. May they be obedient to you. And Father, I pray now again for that one who has never trusted you, that he'll do so today. For that child of yours that's wandered from you, may there be a surrender of will to you this moment, this hour. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Very what number? Number 378, if you will, find a hymn book, stand with us as we sing. Number 378, I surrender all. I don't know what God talks to you about when you sit out here in these pews. He may have spoken to you through something I've said or something I haven't even said. The Lord has a special way of touching our hearts, reminding us of what we ought to do. I don't know what God's talked to you about, but whatever it is, you make that decision before you leave the house today. And I invite you to come meet us here. Let me have just a brief prayer with you as you make that surrender in your life. Sing together and you come while we sing.